Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. What I try to do on this show, as I've said in the past, is I try to have a forum for the open-minded. And I think open-mindedness is important not only for science and spirituality, but also for things that appear to be on the outskirts of science, which, are, which is known as the paranormal. So today I've put together what I hope will be an entertaining, fun show. The guest is Evan Padone, who is the founder of the Florida Paranormal Society. And we're going to be getting into some of the, the outer limits of the paranormal. And I think what's important here is that at the end of the day, I think that the ideas that prevail, that withstand the test of time, or the ones that are credible, are the ones that ultimately have evidence to support them. And that would include things in the scientific sphere, such as the multiverse, string theory, which I've mentioned on past shows, uh, two theories that have absolutely no support. Uh, and then there is the paranormal. And I think it's, it's odd sometimes to think about how uh, in the scientific community we respect so many theories, as I mentioned, the multiverse, as having credibility when there's no test. But uh, many people in the scientific community, at least, would look askance at the paranormal or, di or dismiss it out of hand because it does not fit a preconceived model of science. So as I mentioned, now Evan Padone is not only the founder of the, of the Florida Paranormal Society, he's also an author of the new book Expedition Everest. He's a cryptozoologist, and we're going to find out what that term means, an explorer, and he researches all sorts of paranormal activities, uh, including such things as lost cities, and as I said, crypto. Zoo zoological entities and everything in between and I think it's sort of refreshing to have somebody who is so open-minded that they choose to explore the outer limits of the paranormal rather than just to conclude without any evidence that they don't exist Evan thank you very much for being with us today thank you for having me uh, Philip. I really appreciate it okay well as I as I said What's important here, I think, is to survey the field and see what's going on in the outskirts of the paranormal because clearly the American public has, has a growing interest in the paranormal. I think it's a topic that's always fascinated people, always from, from the early days, from such things as precognitive dreams, the synchronicity, telepathy. And, and we're seeing more and more TV shows pointed in this direction. 
So I think uh, to sort of lay the foundation here a little bit, it's always nice to hear from those who are in this field, what was the trigger for your particular interest in the paranormal? What got you into this line of research? Uh, an overactive imagination. That's a good, that's, that makes sense. Yes, um, you know, I guess it started for me actually probably with Hollywood and, you know, watching shows like X-Files uh, and things of that nature just kind of spurned that interest of, wow, what if these things existed? And, you know, looking at, uh, you know, some of the, some of the great minds uh, that, have, that have theorized on whether it's lost cities like Percy Fawcett, uh, who I'm sure you're aware of was a was a great explorer who actually ended up miss, going missing uh, in the Amazon as he searched for El Dorado, to uh, to people who have UFO sightings, and then from my own personal experiences as an adult, uh, I was in the United States Air Force, and individuals who have claimed that they have seen uh, some some pretty amazing technology. Yeah, I mean it's. There's so many shows. I think there's a there's a new show on the Science Channel, I believe. It's something like the the uh, the hidden files of the CIA or something. It gets into it gets into the UFOs and and uh, other other mysteries. But what do you think drives people to become interested in this? field because we're, we're, we're sort of on the to me this is the outer limits is there is there something about uh, is it just the the fascination you think that people have is it the unknown from from your experience what is it that leads people to join your organization and to, and to become interested in all this well I think at the basis of the human spirit there is that sense for exploration and and people want to believe that there's something more than, than the everyday life that they see. And when it becomes to cryptid or lost cities or, or aliens or multiple dimensions or universes, it's fascinating. And it, it opens up the possibilities of, of our universe. You know, so, so often I think that you know, people get in their little bubble and they're like, okay, this is what science says things are and these are the animals that we know that exist and, and there are no lost cities. If they get in that mindset, it's kind, of, it's kind of boring. But once you have someone that goes, you know, I saw a Bigfoot, you know, everyone's, everyone's head turns. Or if you go, I, I saw an, an, a UFO, you know, people look, start to look up to the sky. And I think it's the sense of exploration, which is, is why with the Florida Paranormal Society, uh, we, we don't call them investigations. We call them expeditions. Hmm. Because we believe that, you, really, you know, people that are into the paranormal field, uh, whether it's a physicist who's studying multi-dimensions, multiple dimensions, or, or, or alien life, you're really an explorer. You're really looking for answers. You're really going out into the unknown. You're not necessarily an investigator or even just a scientist. You're a modern-day explorer trying to find answers. 
just like Columbus was was trying to uh, to discover uh, a, a new a new route, a new trade route, uh, or you know the great explorers of the past, um, you know that were that came to the new world looking for for riches. You know they they didn't they didn't really know what was going to happen. They were going out there because maybe the sense of adventure. And I think that is what is at the heart of these paranormal uh, this paranormal resurgence today is uh, is exploration. Well, I, I think you you hit on something very significant in in the first part of that comment. A couple of things, but but you said something that I think is is very important that there's this yearning in all of us for something more something that reaches beyond the mundane experience and I and that particular quest that particular inner urge when you think about it it cuts across science and what we call the paranormal because scientists themselves and the followers of science are are intrigued fascinated by as you say multi dimensions and the multiverse and alien worlds and there's sometimes when you look at the cover of scientific american you can't tell the difference from the cover of that to the cover of an esp magazine i mean i've done it before i i i think i, I wrote an article on just all the wild things that science is into uh and some people find their outlet in things that have the imprimatur of science, such as maybe string theory, and and some people find their their uh, relief or get their pleasure out of more what I would call far out ideas, such as maybe um, you know Bigfoot and UFO and stuff like that. But I think that the bottom line is that it fulfills this inner urge for something more. And then, it's, I think it's extremely interesting, and your book touches upon this, that you know the Bible is viewed by so many people as myth, and you know some people in the materialistic camp as basically outright fiction, but it could be our origins are mythical. You know that, as Joseph Campbell might say, that we are, we are really living a myth, and so it's not so strange that we'd be interested in these, in in the possibility of lost cities and lost worlds and alien life. So it's not it's not a really a a strange thing. It's just that some people are more open minded than others. Uh, Ab- now, absolutely, and uh, I think that when you're a creative thinker. And you see the world uh, in a different light, you know. And whether it's Albert Einstein, and you know, Albert Einstein was a, was a great scientist, but he was also a creative thinker. And you know, he may he may have had the intelligence when it came from the scientific aspect, but if it wasn't for his creative thinking, he would have never came up with the theory of relativity. Right. You know. Right. And it's these creative thinkers that look outside the box and try to connect the dots, because when you start, you know, if, if you start putting limits on science, or you start putting limits on God, or you start putting limits on the paranormal, you know, you're really, you might miss something, but by opening your eyes and opening your mind, 
and, and, and trying to have this fusion of merging science, perhaps merging religion, and, and merging, you know, things that might seem outside the box like the paranormal, and trying to connect them, you might find the answers that you were looking for. And you shouldn't be afraid of that. You shouldn't be, if there was multiple dimensions, you shouldn't be afraid of that being, being real. You shouldn't be afraid of a multiple universe. It actually makes sense if you actually think about it. You know, and sometimes I feel that if scientists limit themselves only, like, if the Big Bang is it and they're done, they're not going to research the origins anymore of our universe, then they might be looked upon 100 years from now as the, as the people who thought the world was flat. You, have, you really have to branch out and open your mind up to see the possibilities. Well, I, I think that's ironic that, that you just said that because I was, <laughs> I was interviewed, you know, I have, I have a book called The Collapse of Materialism that just came out, and I, I was interviewed a couple days ago on bringing inspiration to Earth. And just to show you how synchronicity plays into some of this, I myself compared the Big Bang Theory to the Flat Earthers. So, so Evan, I think we're on to something here. Um, because, you know, don't get me started on the Big Bang, because I do think that is a myth as well, if you really want to get into it. But I completely agree that, that the task of science, if we just could all agree, the task of science is to explain earthly phenomena, explain experience under one rubric under one set of theories one idea then everybody would be that's fine we could all agree on that the problem now and this does a couple things but the problem is that in my mind many scientists and I would say the majority of them and let me use Michael Shermer as an example who's the publisher of Skeptic Magazine uh, and the author of the book the uh, the believing brain where he basically analyzes why so many people believe in such ridiculous things as the paranormal that's basically his the his thesis um, but but the but the point is is that if we rule out real phenomena from our theories we're not doing science justice but that cuts the other way as well Evan and that is if there is not evidence for things like Bigfoot UFOs they've got to go and this is this is one of my issues with some of this stuff and that is and let me just use a mundane example I have never been impressed by the evidence for UFOs I mean I have just never been impressed and I I haven't researched it to you know I haven't researched it all that great but I have watched a bunch of shows I have seen some pictures and and frankly I feel the same way about UFOs that I feel about some other things like Bigfoot if there really was such a thing then we would have a stunning evidence for it by now. So how would you respond to that? You know, that's a, that's a great... Uh, actually, I would prefer people actually think the way you do because the problem when it comes to explaining these creatures is you have these, these blind believers that believe, in, you know, that, that believe in something just because they want it to exist but don't actually look at the scientific evidence. So if you want to be a respected cryptozoologist or you want to be a respected explorer, you actually have to back it up by scientific evidence. Now, when it comes to cryptids like a Bigfoot, I mean, 
for example, there's an animal called the okapi that was, uh, that was thought to be a cryptid. It was thought to be mythological, and then they discovered it in the 1900s. Um, so it went from being a cryptid to being real, and, and that was in uh, Central Africa. So, you know, that is one animal that uh, was discovered that people thought was fake or that was a myth. Now, some people will go, well, that was 100 years ago. So well, what about today? It was only a few years ago that they thought that these one uh, gorillas were almost extinct. And then they went into the deep end of the Congo, I believe it was, and found over 100,000 of them. Now, this, this, this gorilla goes from being on the verge of believing to be extinct or close to extinction, and then they discover 100,000 of them. So that's a mind-blowing number. That's 100,000 of a very large primate. So if I was to justify Bigfoot, and I'll be the first to say I've never seen Bigfoot. I have found what I consider Bigfoot print. I've never actually seen a Bigfoot. Um, but when it comes to, because uh, once again, I back my stuff up with science, but when it comes to a creature like Bigfoot, and someone goes, well, how could a creature like this exist today? In Expedition Everest, I try to explain that. For one, there's a lot of land. If you actually look at, like, for example, Siberia, Siberia encompasses an area over 5 million square miles. That's about almost twice the size of the United States. Um, and yet there's only 40 million people living there. So it's a very desolate area. I mean, you basically have the population of California in, a, in an area, a landmass, that's almost double the size of the United States. Mm. So it's very possible that you would have a primate there. Now, if you were to ask me, well, what scientific backing would you have to say that a primate could live in these conditions? I would have to start with Gigantopithecus, which was... Uh, an ancient primate that is believed to now be extinct. And in my novel, I talk about evolutionary adaptations that a primate would have that would enable it to remain hidden. That would be certain things like, like for example, a polar bear. Many people don't know this, but you can't see a polar bear on thermal imaging. Therefore, I believe that the attributes of a, of a, of a yeti, in this case, would have similar fur, like, like a polar bear, where you would not be able to see it on thermal imaging. So forget these shows like Finding Bigfoot, which I do love. They're great, but they're, they're entertainment. You're, I don't believe you're going to find a Bigfoot or a Yeti on thermal imaging, which would negate any kind of technological ability to pick it up on those type of, uh, on those type of cameras. So you also have to look at maybe like an active camouflage, uh, like an ermine, or something along those lines. Um, it might be an asexual creature instead of a sexual creature. This would help with reproduction. So, you know, once you start opening your mind up on these type of things and you can actually start to base it scientifically, it goes from being where this creature could not exist to where there's a possibility. And then what you have to do is you have to go with eyewitness accounts. And I was just watching uh, some documentaries and some, and some investigations that were done where where this one individual claimed that a Yeti could actually rip apart a, a bear, a rip, rip apart a bear. It can actually kill a bear, tear, tear its arms off, it's that strong. So that was very interesting. And then what I noticed, though, that I went back to another documentary that took place in Alaska, completely independently produced, no affiliation whatsoever. 
And these eyewitness accounts stated that they saw a large grizzly bear. And then they saw the large grizzly bear take off running from something extremely fast, and then that's when they saw a Bigfoot. So when I see a story where it talks about a witness that talks about a Yeti killing a, a bear in Russia, and then I see a very similar account in Alaska, completely unconnected, it, make, it raises a brow of that maybe these creatures do exist and can be explained. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Evan Padone, the founder of the Florida Paranormal Society, about the outskirts of the paranormal. Well, I, I have a problem with that, to be honest with you, because, first of all, you, you know, what we see a lot in, in science and in other fields, religion, spirituality, and paranormal, is, is the imagination fills in the blanks. Uh, and if with all of the technology out there, with everybody carrying around a camera now, basically with their, with their cell phones, you would think that if there was really one of these monsters, somebody would have taken a picture of it by now. And that and that's and that's one of the reasons why I doubt I doubt they exist. And and just to say that there's a possibility uh, to me doesn't really doesn't really do it. Now I, I do think that there's a possibility there's also a possibility that there's life on Mars. Okay, and that's something of course we could prove eventually. And there's all sorts of possibilities. But you know, but then we could switch gears and we could say, and I get and I, I would I would go this direction. What difference would it make? If suppose there was a Yeti or whatever you want to call it, what what difference would it really make in the grand scheme of things? Well, I think if we discovered a Yeti or a large primate that in, in my vision of a Yeti or a Bigfoot is the perfect evolutionary adaptation to coincide with nature. You know, I believe that you know, whether it's 10 or 15,000 years ago, when, you know, humans basically have evolved to go ahead and change nature to their liking, whether it's building these dwellings, these skyscrapers, air conditioning, cars, transportation, we're not ones necessarily to live alongside nature. We, we try to change the world to our liking. I believe that this creature would be the complete polar opposite of us. I believe it to be the perfect adaptation to live alongside nature. Um, I believe that it sees differently than us. I believe that it sees in a different spectrum uh, than us, which enables it to hunt well at night, which enables it to see over vast distances, and which also helps it stay away from us. Um, I also believe that it would be the greatest discovery of the 21st century. To find a creature like this, um, and there's, there's some people that believe that it's, it's perhaps an ancient Neanderthal tribe or, or, or has it evolved from that. I think, for me personally, I, I don't believe that. I, I go along the lines that it's a Gigantopithecus or evolved or descended down from that bloodline. I do believe that it might be the first asexual primate, um, which in its, in its own right would be amazing, but the ability to reproduce on its own would negate it to have, to have the ability to, to have large populations. 
how how can you say that finding a monster would be the greatest or let me put it maybe maybe not a monster is the right word finding an unexpected giant creature would be the greatest discovery of the 21st century i mean who wouldn't it just be like finding another species like finding another i mean you know we haven't we have, we have not explored very much of the oceans either who knows what aquatic creatures are down there i mean mm-hmm. just just because you find a new species doesn't mean like it's some kind of revel uh, some kind of revelation or something i mean what what is i this is what i don't understand i mean i agree with the fascination part of this over it but i i just I don't understand what the great advance in human knowledge would be. Why don't you... Go ahead. I think that it would be something that would fascinate the world, and I believe it would be be a creature that we would be able to learn from. Hmm. Um, I, I think that it would be the same as discovering a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the Amazon. You know, it's It'd be one of those things where science would immediately want to know, how could this creature avoid us? How does it survive? How does it live? And granted, discoveries, when I say that the greatest discovery of the 21st century, that, that could change. Obviously, if we discovered uh, UF, or, you know, aliens, that, that would be something that could obviously surpass us, because then we know we're not alone. But... Up until this point, if we had a discovery of that nature, uh, of a creature of this magnitude, um, that is intelligent, that is highly evolved, that is a primate, it's a primate on the human level. I mean, a creature that rivals our intelligence, but instead of changing the natural world, it lives amongst it. But but the problem is is that oh, that's all speculation. I mean, there's so many ifs and 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 what ifs in that in that uh, response. I mean, the thing is is that as I said before, uh, where is it? I mean, you think we would have found it by now? And so so it's. I guess I don't have a problem with the open-minded search and keeping your keeping your options open. But when you go from but when somebody goes from, well, wouldn't that be cool if we found Bigfoot to to speculating upon, well, Bigfoot must exist and there is a Bigfoot. I mean, I it's the transition from the imagination to reality that I have a problem with. Um, I mean, for example, and I and I can, I go back to the same point again and again. I think this is sort of simple, and that is. You know, if, as your book says, if somebody took a picture of it, somebody captured one, we wouldn't, you know, that would be great. But in this day and age, that hasn't happened. So, so, so let me, let me approach it this direction. Of all of the things that you study, and, and, and your, your society does seem to focus on some subcategories of the world of the paranormal. What do you think is the most established, whether it's mm. ghosts, UFOs, ETs, Bigfoot, all these things you have on your website? What do you think is the most established phenomena that you would stand in front of a, a room of scientists and say, these things is this and here's why? Well, I think it would be easy. Well, if I was to take this approach, I would probably go after... 
Scientifically, you know, to back it up scientifically, I've had my own experiences with the paranormal, um, whether it's, it's ghosts, but I'm not 100% convinced that those can be isolated um, and, with, and withstand independent tests. I would say that the most likely, if I was to back it with scientific credits, I would actually go with aliens. Hmm. Um, I believe that if you were to actually just look at the sheer numbers of, of, uh, of planets and stars, it would just seem, it would just seem irresponsible to think that we were alone, that they did not exist, that there is microbes on, on Mars. Uh, I mean, we've had the rock that landed in Antarctica that they looked at that looked like they were fossilized microbes. I think it's just irresponsible to think that aliens do not exist. And if I was to go in from a scientific community, uh, I would I would say and and I would say that would be it. Definitely aliens. Yeah, that's I think that that that's a that's a very interesting topic in a, in a number of ways. Uh, because in a couple of things, first of all, there is a study that's sanctioned by mainstream science that I that I think Carl Sagan uh, was one of the original pioneers of the SETI program, uh, which is finding extraterrestrial life. Then there is on the other side of the spectrum, you know, the whole search for UFOs. But the but the thing about you know you're calling aliens, which is you know life on other planets, is that that is scientifically provable. I mean, I I think I think there is a good chance that there's life on Mars, and I don't mean little green men or ladies. I mean some form of life, bacteria or something. I think there's a there's a pretty good chance of it. Of of all, I mean, and let's face it, Evan, in our lifetimes, and hopefully they're long lifetimes, um, the best chance we're going to have of finding life on other planets is going to be Mars, right? Because because it's close. It's it's something that um, is discoverable within technology, and it's it's real. And 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 I think I think I would agree with you that of all of them, that's the one. the The issue, though, that I have also with uh, life on other planets is this whole thing called the speed of light. And I had this conversation, uh, I think it was last week, with Dick Larson about how, you know, the closest star to the Earth other than the Sun is something like four, four light years away. So, that, so, in other words, it would take light four years to get here, and no spaceship's going to go f- the speed of light. We all know about that, because otherwise you turn into energy. So, so you sort of have to find a way for the aliens to communicate. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations beyond science and religion we're probing the outer limits of the paranormal here with Evan Padone of the Florida of the Florida Paranormal Society so so why don't you so in terms of the evidence you've seen about life on other planets or aliens what's the best evidence you've seen okay well for one I, I wanted to touch on you mentioned the speed of light right uh, and this I may be unique here but I don't necessarily subscribe to the, the theory of relativity and that the speed of light is the limit. Right. For I know there's there's and I know that might seem a little bit uh, outside of the box. I mean, I know some physicists believe that quarks 
have to travel uh, faster than the speed of light and a particle accelerator, then, then some disprove that. Um, I know that there are some particles, I believe it's in the Hadron Collider, that they've done where some physicists come on and go, well, we might have passed the speed of light, but then others are like, no, we did not. But um, Well, that was neutrinos, and there, there was some tests that, that the neutrino went like, barely faster than the speed of light, but then they figured out, believe it or not, that a wire was loose and the measuring instrument is pretty funny. But but I, I would not necessarily disagree with you, just to just to sort of put my cards on the table. Uh the there are certain things that show that the speed of light is not the limit, the concept of entanglement in quantum theory and then the evolu- and then the inflationary theory of the Big Bang. Uh, they, they, the scientists surmise that inflation was actually faster than the speed of light. So it, it, it's possible it's not the, lim- the speed limit of the universe, but by all indications it is. Okay, so ha- with, with that little um, digression, I, I sort of interrupted you. You were talking about how uh, the speed of light is not something that you think is, a, is an absolute obstacle here. So why don't you continue? Uh, I, de- I definitely don't believe it's an obstacle. Um, now, that being said, um, I do agree with you about Mars and the ability to find microbes on Mars will probably be our best chance. Uh, Europa, as well, uh, seems like a strong possibility for sea life. Now, when I was in the military, I, I actually um, I spoke to a couple people. I-, I was stationed, I was in the Air Force, I worked in aerospace propulsion, and uh, one of my... Uh, dorm sergeants of all, of all people, getting ready to retire, uh, claimed to have actually worked on UFOs at Area 51. Hmm. So uh, that was his, his, his thing. He, he swore it up and down. Now, um, some people go, well, that seems a little, a little odd, you know, that maybe he's just trying to make a name for himself. He, he really wasn't. He, 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 was, he seemed very forthcoming, very honest. Now that I met another airman, I went TDY down to Nellis Air Force Base. And I was down there for an aerospace propulsion school, uh, my second aerospace propulsion school. And um, when I was down there, I asked an individual, you know, if he heard anything about Area 51. And it was just a candid conversation from a couple people that worked on, on in, in that field that he actually saw uh, an aircraft that was able to hover at, at Nellis Air Force Base. And, if you're, and, and I, I apologize, but if you're not familiar with Nellis Air Force Base, it's the home of Area 51. It's, it's the base that, that looks over it. Um, anyhow, that being said, he saw an aircraft that uh, was completely silent and took off very rapidly in the sky and then stopped very rapidly and took off. Uh, now, this, when I talked to him, I said, it sounds like an electromagnetic pulse engine. It, it sounds like it's using some kind of electromagnetic field. Uh, he, he didn't know his credit, but I go, that's, that's rather interesting. Now, I feel that if you actually look, whether it's back at the Roswell case in, in 47, when, uh, when it, I'm sure you're all familiar, all the listeners are familiar with the alien wreck uh it was released by the army air corps that uh that 
an alien spacecraft was captured and then it turned out to be a weather balloon. I just find it hard. I, I, I don't believe that the military would be that irresponsible to alert the public, to alert the world, so to speak, that an alien aircraft crash-landed and then to cover it back up with me. And then I don't think they'd be that irresponsible. I think that if you felt that an a, that a alien aircraft landed, you're, you're going to make sure that it crash-landed before you release it. But here's the problem. Here's the problem right now, and that is why isn't there more public knowledge of the truth of UFOs and aliens if 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 i i just think that the that the interest in it overwhelms the evidence and you're talking to somebody who's pretty open minded here i mean if you listen to any of my show i mean i'm I I don't like to rule things out, but I, but in the case of UFOs, and I put Bigfoot in the same category, it seems as if I mean it's it's sort of like show you know show me the beef here, because yeah. because I I can't believe what would be the big reason for keeping it a secret, I mean what it's some kind of it's I don't I don't understand why it hasn't gone out. If you look at how inquisitive the media is. I mean, this is the other thing is that I mean the the media they could they could discover anything. I mean, uh, they've got cameras and and you know with the cell phones and the recorders. So so I I just have a problem with the lack of evidence and everything seems to be secondhand, Evan. You know, somebody told you. Well, did you see it with your own eyes? I mean, that's another way to put the whole thing. I mean. I don't think, I mean, you have not seen an alien spacecraft, I take it. Um, I have not, you know, I have not yeah. seen an alien spacecraft. Right. Um, you know, I, I actually, when I discovered Bigfoot prints, I was ecstatic. Yeah. You know, um, it's one of those things where until you see it and you find it yourself, it becomes hard to believe. And to answer your question, why would aliens uh, or extraterrestrials be covered up? Well, I think there's a couple different reasons, and I don't necessarily believe that they're valid reasons, but I, I, I do understand them and why they would be covered up. A couple things that have to do with this control. I think uh, control and fear. I think that governments um, that would be privileged to this knowledge would have an honest reason, a, a real concern to keep that from the public. And I can understand that, uh, whether it be uh, society and the structure of society perhaps falling apart. I mean, what if these aliens or extraterrestrials, what, what if their society was more like, I guess you could say like Star Trek, you know, where, where people just acted differently and interacted differently? I don't know if the world would be ready for that. And I think that when it comes to religious structures and foundations, you know, too often people go, oh, it would be the collapse of religion as we know it. Well, you know, that's not necessarily the case for, for a couple different reasons. One is, what, what is it, why do we need to think that the aliens have any better understanding of God than we do? You know, it's, it's not like, you know, when, when the Europeans came over to the New World, you know, the New World, the, uh, the, the, the natives that were here had their own religion and their own outlook on things, and that was maybe just a different chapter in humanity's story. And then the Europeans had, you know, their faith was tend to be Christian-based, 
and then you know, of course, in the Middle East, you 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 have you have Islam, and then uh, even farther east, you have uh, Buddhism and Hinduism. You know, aliens would have will likely have their own faith, but it doesn't make their faith any more right than ours. The, the one thing that they would have is more technology. And why more, why why is that necessary? How how well, do we know that? How would we know well, that? If, if they were able to travel here, I should oh, say. Okay, if, if, okay. If, yeah, if they were able to sense. travel yeah. here, yeah, that's true. Uh, th- their technology would be better. Obviously, if we went to, to, to Mars, then it's just a bunch of microbes. Well, of course not. Yeah. But Or if we went to Europa and we find out that, they, that their oceans are filled with a bunch of giant salmon, you know, it, no, of course not. But if they were physically traveling here uh, and, uh, and for whatever reason, maybe, maybe Earth is a good pit stop. Maybe they refuel in our oceans. Maybe they use hydrogen out of, the, out of our water. Who knows? But my, my point is, is that we shouldn't, if extraterrestrials do exist and they are coming to our planet, we, we shouldn't look at, to them as having all the answers to, the, to, the, to, the, to our existence. They, they might just be more, simply more advanced scientifically. Yes, they may be able to give us insight so we don't destroy our planet, uh, whether it's pollution or, or environmental change. They may be able to give us, uh, you know, technology to, to help us travel the stars. They may be able to help us find cures for, for diseases and help us uh, advance uh, when it comes to production of food and things like that. But we shouldn't necessarily look to them for, for answers when it comes to, to God. They might not have them any more than we do. Well... I think that where where this uh, heads and you know uh, putting it together, you sort of compounded. I mean, I view this as being a major evidentiary problem. Okay, now, and you know, I've said in the past that that I'm a lawyer by trade, so I don't care whether it's a physics professor at Princeton or whether it's the founder of the Florida Paranormal Society, I'm asking the same question, which is, what's the evidence and what's the logic behind it? And, you know, I asked, you know, the question was, why would the government uh, not disclose UFOs? I mean, there's a subsidiary question, which is, why hasn't the public seen these UFOs? Or why isn't there better evidence? And, and, And you said that, well, there's not a reason for the government to to uh, hide the evidence of the UFOs, as if they really are aliens, and there is an unjustified reason the government's given us for not disclosing it. See, that to me is like a conspiracy theory built built upon a conspiracy theory. So, so I I think it's great to be open-minded here, and don't get me wrong. But, but I think that in order to get credibility in this field, there has to be, uh, I mean, we all have to be from Missouri, which is the show me state, you know, show me the evidence. And, and I don't think this, this movement, the paranormal movement, does itself justice when it relies upon speculation. And, and that, you know, I've said that a couple times, and I, I think that that is, that's really where I'm coming from. Uh, that I'm all I'm in favor of being open-minded, but sort of you got to like separate the wheat from the chaff at some point and focus on what what really makes sense. Um, 
or, or what what is really proven. But you know, that's just me speaking. If if somebody wants to devote their careers or lives to finding it, to finding UFOs, I think that's great. It's more productive work than a lot of people do. So there's really nothing wrong with it. It's just that what what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to credit the 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 deepest rooted paranormal events so that we could stand up and say science you're missing the boat because there's real human experiences that you're ignoring well um, I think that's I think that's valid and I think that's actually a really great way to look at it and, and what I would tell anyone that's looking into getting to the paranormal or whether it's you want to uh, uncover extraterrestrials or you want to find Bigfoot the first thing I would say is don't focus on the things that are outside your control and don't focus actually on the conspiracy theories. Don't focus on, hey, is the government covering this up? Are you trying to discover extraterrestrials or are you trying to under, uh, discover a great government conspiracy? Right. You know, I would say focus on, on what you can back scientifically. You know, can, can you locate uh, a UFO? Can, can you see one? It's not obviously, you know, it's not like you can see a UFO. If someone said they saw one, can you take scientific technology there and go, okay, I'm getting radiation signatures. Okay, are those radiation signatures natural phenomenon, or do they come from something external? Okay, and then once that happens, there's a little, there's, it gets tricky now. Because I know from a fact of being in the military that there's technology that's state-of-the-art. So how can you prove that this is not an Air Force uh, test plane versus someone that, that flew from a galaxy you know, 50 light years away? Or 100 light years away, uh, or a star system, I should say. So, you know, it's you have to be very, very careful. Focus on what you can control, and and then try to to prove it. Um, and I believe that uh, that would be the wiser choice in focusing on the conspiracy theories. Yeah, I think I think that you know, and everyone's got to make up their own mind what they want to devote their time to, or their hobbies, or their life, or their careers. But clearly. That is, uh, it, it makes sense to me. You know, my my uh, mission is to combine science and spirituality, and included in that would be the paranormal. I think that the paranormal uh, has to be uh, subsumed into more of an overarching theory. But you got to understand, as you probably do, Evan, that there are some leading scientists who don't believe any of the paranormal is true anything whether it's uh, telepathy clairvoyance mind over matter none of it in fact the majority of them they can't believe it because it doesn't fit their model this is philip camello this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with evan padone the founder of the florida paranormal society about the outer limits of the paranormal now, just to just to close off that point I just made, and I th it's something that I want to sort of put a cap on, that it it does those who are researching in this area, if the goal is to uh, encompass within a, the world scientific model the paranormal, that it's then the only way that's ever going to work is having valid proof. If you want to explore your imagination and keep and keep a uh, 
sort of a door ajar that there might be uh, lost cities, uh, monsters, or UFOs, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because because some of that stuff might be true. And I don't, I, I would not, I, and I, I do think you got to sort of keep a little eye on that. But if we're going to, and I'm using the royal we here, if we're going to build a broader worldview where where this stuff gets legitimate, we're going to have to go with our strengths. That's 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 my sort of prejudice. So one thing that I, I, I want to now circle back to that I thought was interesting uh, in your book, Expedition Everest, is how it ultimately turned out to to um, to be a story about faith uh, at the end of the day. And and those who have not read the book, uh, first of all, I take it it was inspired by the recent um, avalanche on Mount Everest, or did you just happen to write a book with the same theme? Oh, actually, the book was finished before that. Isn't uh, it? A, just, that's amazing. That's unfolded, yes, exactly. That was just uh, by sheer chance. That That is amazing. And, and just... Um, why don't you quick? Why, why don't you give a quick description of both? Because I thought that that was when I was reading. I was thinking, you know, that you're an awfully fast writer because 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 the avalanche just occurred in April, right? Yes. And yep. and you're writing a book that's it was based on the Kindle in February. Yeah, basically the same. It 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 was it was a similar. It, in fact, the the preface uh, you were talking about, I think, in the book. Uh, that there was a prior um, avalanche in the book, and which I thought you were basing it upon real events. But anyway, why don't you uh, give a quick summary of the book? Because I want to ask you about the 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 ending here a little bit and try to connect the dots here. So why don't you tell listeners quickly what uh, Expedition Everest is about? Well, Expedition Everest uh, follows the exploits of Joseph Corso. Uh, he's, a, he's basically the world's greatest mountain climber. Uh, he's contacted by a billionaire uh, to lead an expedition during the monsoon season. Um, the expedition uh, unfolds to be uh, about the Yeti, and, uh, and it takes place. And the reason why, it take, you know, the monsoon season, why that's important is no one climbs Mount Everest during the monsoon season. And... During the book, when you're when you're reading the novel, I think the important thing that readers, like you said, it, it, it turns into a, a faith-based book, is because you really see a lot of character development, and you see an individual really transform before your eyes. You know, Corso is already the greatest mountain climber. He ends up becoming a great explorer, but he also you kind of delve into the things that he struggled with personally uh, in his life, whether it's the loss of his parents and things like that, and how he it becomes faith-based, and there's also scientific aspects of it when in relation to the Yeti. So it's kind of a fusion before science and God, or in this case, cryptozoology and God, coexist on that on that thin line, and it's a very delicate line. And one thing I've noticed is it's it's been the most talked about aspect of the book, which is which is interesting because I thought some people might just really enjoy it for the adventure aspect. But 
when people talk about the novel and they really get into it intellectually, they're like, man, I, I, I believe that science and God can coexist, and I'm so glad you wrote this book. And I've actually been told by people that. I'm so glad that you, know, you wrote a book where cause I believe that science and God can coexist, and that you know, when you have the, the room of secrets uh, at the end, and you have the different faiths there, and they're just different chapters in the world, I think people really liked that unifying aspect. It made them feel good. It made them feel like, wow, it's okay to have your own individual beliefs because, you know, we're, these are all different chapters in one book, one story. Well, as I said earlier in the show, and I think you just you just said it right there, is that if we want to give the Bible some credibility— if we want to find truth, historical truth in the Bible of some kind, then we necessarily have to keep our minds open about other events. And, you know, the, the real struggle we have is drawing that line, as you say, between what is the history of the human spirit and what is imagination because even if we are spiritual creatures which I think we are and even if the world is a lot bigger broader magical than scientific materialism tells it tells us it is that world would still have limits there would still be speculation and there would still be unfounded beliefs in that world and that's sort of where I'm that's sort of where I go with the UFOs and the Bigfoot. I'm, I'm saying that I do believe, Evan, that we, that this is a magical, a magical place, and that and that uh, what we know as the supernatural is probably better explained as the as part as nature we don't understand. But even if that's the case, it does not mean that there are, that there's pixie dust and there's fairies and there's you know angels flying around and and UFO. I mean, it, there has to there's some limit to it. And, and that's sort of, to me, part of being a rational creature is, so, is sort of knowing where to place your bets and where to sort of um, point your beliefs. And so, so that's, but I, but I thought that was a good way to end the book because it, it opened it up a little bit. And that was really the connection that, that I made um, in, in my own in my own reading of it, which is that connecting this search for this sort of strange creature with with the observation that we could be that we we very well could have been born in a in a mythical place as well. So what makes us think that we're not living in a mythical world filled with enchanted creatures? So you know I'm that's 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 just the way I am. That's the way I that's the way I read the book. I mean that's that's the way I read the end of the book. So, yeah, you know, that's great, you know, and um, I'm glad that you read it that way. You know, when, when you look at, you know, one of the things that's fascinating is the concept of, of, of multiple dimensions or multiple universes, because I have a couple theories uh, or a couple uh, couple works in my mind's eye, I should say, that uh, will eventually touch on that in, in my fictional work. Um, and I think that that... And uh, I am writing a sequel to to Expedition Everest that uh, might touch on that a little bit. Um, 
uh, you know, I think that that is where you're going to start when you start looking at those different, you know, universes. You might be able, it might explain things because physics might react differently in those universes. And, and I think if you have an open mind to that, and I don't, I don't know if, if that's what, if that's something that, uh, that you believe or not, Philip, but, you know, I, I think that in different universes, things might react differently. Liquid might react differently. How the light of a fire might react differently. And that's some of those things that I might touch base on in my next novel. Yeah, well, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. And without beating around the bush, because I think the, the topic of, or without avoiding the big question, uh, I think the topic of multiverses, parallel, parallel universes, is something I talk about in the show a lot. I... I am not a big fan of it. I think that um, any time that there is a theory involving things that can never be proven, you sort of have to take it with a with a grain or maybe a large dose of salt, uh, because it's sort of a contradiction in terms to be basing a worldview upon things that you can't prove. And this is not just me speaking. There's all sorts of um, mainstream scientists who are not big fans of the multiverse, particularly when you when you consider that our own little universe is something like 40 billion light years in radius. Now, if 40 billion light years isn't big enough for us, then I don't. I think there's not a lot of hope. Uh, the last thing I will say on the multiverse concept, which I think is really cool, somebody I forgot who brought this up. It could have been Paul Davies. But he said something like, uh, another criticism of the multiverse is, well, what makes us think that God doesn't really exist in one of the multiverses? And that Jesus is, you know, came the second or the third time. I mean, this is what's crazy about the multiverse. <laughs> if, anything, if anything that can occur will occur in some multiverse, then, you know, there is no, there is no reason to rule out spirituality and religion because it probably is occurring in some multiverse. The whole thing is just, you know, it's it, it's pretty mind-blowing. So we've quickly come to the end. I did have one last question, um, which, which is, is there anything special about Florida and the paranormal? Is there a greater percent percentage of people following the paranormal down there, or, or is there something unique about Florida, is it just or just where you live? Well, I think that people in, in Florida are naturally drawn to the society. I've actually had members contact us from as far as ways to buy, hmm. wanting to join our society, yeah. which is kind of uh, you know uh, amazing to me uh, that our name is out there. What, one of the things that I think is great about Florida is that we do have a lot of paranormal activity here. We have uh, a lot of UFO sightings that come off the Gulf of Mexico. Um, there, are, there is the Bermuda Triangle off the east coast of us, which has a lot of phenomena, which I've actually experienced once myself, which was rather, uh, was rather amazing. Um, the other thing is, is that uh, we have cryptids, uh, or at least the theory of cryptids, and we have a lot of sightings of cryptids, and I've actually been in touch with other organizations such as the BFRO, which is a Bigfoot Research Organization, um, and uh, been in touch with them on some of my findings. So there is a plethora of paranormal activity um, in the state, uh, as well as uh, ghosts um, 
and the theory of entities like that. There also is the theory of lost lost cities to some sense. Uh, I'm really going to speak about the fountain of youth. Um, you know, believe it or not, there are people that believe that it just hasn't been found and that Ponce de Leon was onto something. Well, wow. so there is a lot of theories uh, and a lot of uh, unexplained phenomenon. The only thing I would say to people is that are interested in it is, you know, back it up scientifically. You know, it's okay to, to have it drive you. It's okay to look for it. It's okay to go after it. But always use scientific evidence to back up your claims. So, you know, you're not looked at, um, uh, well, for one, unprofessionally, you don't want to be a laughingstock. You want to go out there and, and, and really pursue it in the, in the manner of science. Yeah, well, Evan, uh, it's, it, thanks a lot for joining us, and I thought it would be fun to sort of probe the outer limits of the paranormal, which is something we, we did on this show, I hope. And sort of to echo something I said throughout the show, that... There's nothing that beats open-mindedness, because that's that's what I think where it all begins. Whether it's science, religion, or the paranormal, and for those who want to build a credible worldview, however, when you're done with the open-minded inquiry, we have things called hypotheses, uh, educated guesses, that are then backed up by testing and experience to ultimately prove things that are true or not true, but unless we're open-minded about everything, we're never going to build a rich and all-encompassing world perspective. Uh, Evan, thank you very much for your time, and the best place to reach you would be what website? Uh, well, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Um, FloridaParanormalSociety.com, uh, you can reach our society. Um, and you can also visit me at evanpadone.com um, if you're interested in learning more about my books. Okay, that's great. And once again, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Join me next week when I'll have on the show Peter Tung, the host of the very popular show Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And we'll uh, stretch that one pretty far as well. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.